This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We are Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leisman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. My parents weren't really focused on anything. They weren't religious at all. My dad would send me to Bible school for basically daycare. When I was 12, I decided I wanted to go to church with a friend of mine. I was brought up to the front of the church. The preacher put his hand upon my shoulder, pushed me down to my knees, and looked me in the face and told me I was going to hell. I never went back to church again. A friend of mine, he invited me to come to church on Easter with him. And for some reason, I called him up a week before church and told him I'd go with him. Nate gave a great sermon on Jesus and how God had put Jesus on this earth in human form and Jesus had died for our sins. Jesus went to the cross so that I could be forgiven. So I went home, I cried, and I asked for forgiveness. I've been back at church every weekend since. I've had multiple people that I've talked to that now are contemplating coming to church because of words I've talked to them about, things I've, I've discovered in my life. Mm. That's the third time I've seen that because like we have three services. I love that. That's awesome. It's about changed lives um, where the gospel really does change people's lives. And the question I want to ask this morning is, do we believe that? Because if we really do, I think there should be an urgency about the way that we live. Um, I want to talk this morning about um, sharing the gospel with the end in mind. We're ending this series that we've done. We did four weeks on prayer, and this is the fourth week we're doing on evangelism. And um, I mean, I don't know if you picked up one of these cool how to share the gospel things, and they have even the little uh, QR codes that you can, you know, do home shopping with, I guess, or QR QVC codes or whatever. And, um, but it, it's just a powerful illustration of it being to share the gospel. Bill Bright said, failure in witnessing is failure to witness. And um, I think it's important for us to just be about talking about Jesus if we're truly saved. And I think that idea of us being truly saved is, um, do we believe this? Do we really believe this message? Do we believe this message so much that it, much that it changes the way that we live? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read a chapter and a half. Um, of scripture. And um, some of you say, well, why are we going to read a chapter and a half? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. And it's my prayer that you would hear this word and it would infect and change your faith. Um, also, if you know, if you only listen to the first hundred words, at least the hundred, first hundred words or whatever of what I'm saying in the message, at least it's the word of God. So, yay. All right. Are we ready? If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat. If you don't own a Bible, please take that with you. It's our gift to you. We're excited uh, for you to have a copy of God's word. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne 
and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, Come down, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse nine of chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the, of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel, which were inscribed on the east gates, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia, which is about 14 to 1600 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measure, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, 
while the city was pure gold like glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second was sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb." By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Precious Father, we come before you, and as we start talking about this day of the Lord on the day that you return to judge, I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would illuminate your word to us, that it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that you would use this word and the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us, all truth, your truth. It would be a quick and powerful double-edged sword. It would divide between our bone and spirit, our bone and marrow, Father, and our soul and our spirit. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that you sanctify us through your word, Lord God. I thank you that it's our authority, that it is powerful. And I pray, Lord God, that we would submit to its authority in our lives. Lord, teach us your word, Father God. I pray, Lord God, that you would increase and I would decrease. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Urgency. Sharing the gospel with the end in mind. This is the day of the Lord. The day when the Lord judges humanity. That's what we're reading about here in Revelation. And we're reading about how God brings everybody that has ever died before the great white throne. The day of the Lord is spoken of in the Old Testament, and it carries over into the New Testament. And for those that are saved, those that have been received Christ, and those that are saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ and are sanctified by him, this is a great day, a good day, a great day, the best day. And for those that are not saved, those that are not sanctified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that have rejected and are arrogant and said, I'm going to do it myself, and I don't want anything to do with you, God, and I want to live the way that I want to live, even though I might have professed Christ, but I'm still going to live the way that I want to live. This is a horrible day. It's the worst day. 
And I was thinking about that. Have you ever had a good day? I mean, think about that day. That was a good day. Like some of you would say, oh, I've had some good days. No, I'm talking like the best day. It's like you wake up in the morning and you wake up before your alarm goes off because you're so well rested. You know what I'm talking about? That day? And you just, it's a good day. And you're like, this is a good day. And then like your kids are totally getting along in the morning and you're like, man, this is even a better day. What a great day. And you get in the car and you're driving to work and every single light is green. It's a good day, right? And you walk in and, and, and hey, your boss looks at you and goes, hey, there's a bonus on your check, a bonus for all your hard work. There's a check on your desk. Even better day. And then you're looking, you're saying, this is the best day ever. And then you call up your wife and say, hey, babe, let's go to lunch. And your wife goes, sure. And you go to lunch with your wife. And your wife is looking beautiful, as she always is. And she looks at you and she says, have you lost weight? You're looking good. It's a good day. It's a great day. And everything seems to be falling into place. And you're like, this is the best day ever. Let me share something for you. For you, Christian, on the day of the Lord, it's going to be even better than that. All right? But have you ever had a bad day? I'm talking like a really bad day. Well, it's, a ba- it's such a bad day, you still remember it. It's still burned in there. Not only do you, you're running late and you hit every red light. I'm talking worse than that. Well, what's worse than that? I'm talking like your kids are fighting all the time. And, and I'm talking worse than that. Your husband or your wife says they don't want to be married to you anymore. I'm talking worse than that. Someone tells you and they call you and they say, I hate you. I don't, I don't want to be in relationship with you anymore. Worse than that, you feel alone. Worse than that, you walk in and your boss slides over a pink slip and says, we don't need your services anymore. Pack your stuff and get out. Worse than that. I'm talking the worst possible day you could ever have. That pales in comparison to the day of the Lord for those who aren't saved. It will be worse than that. Absolutely worse. Now, what is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is the day when God demonstrates and exercises justice for all. I'm talking he, everything that's been wrong with this world, he fixes. Every injustice that's ever happened, he makes it right. Everything is done according to his goodness as judge over all the earth. And so that's a good day for those of us that are Christians and a bad day for those that are not. Now think about it this way. It's, and everyone goes, yes, I want justice. I want justice. Do we really though? In this passage of scripture, we read that, that God has all of these books of every single thing we've ever done. And he judges us based upon those books of everything that we've done. Every single thing that we've said, thought, and he's a good judge. And so therefore he has to pay for the broken laws. Now, so think about it. We think, okay, yes, we want God to be a good judge. And uh, what does a good judge do? He deals with the broken laws that we've committed. 
So if you stood before Judge Joe Brown or Judge Judy or something, and you had killed somebody, you would want, right? And you stood before them and you could say, hey, listen, I know I killed somebody, but I've lived like Mother Teresa the rest of my life. And so I think you're a good judge and I think you'll let me in. Well, they would say this, you're right about that. I am a good judge. And because I'm a good judge, you have to pay the penalty for murder. Even though you've done all these good things, you still have to pay the penalty for murder. And because you broke the law, therefore you stand condemned before this good judge. And what is the condemnation? For the wages of sin is death. And not just death, physical death, but there's a second death that awaits those that have rejected on the day of the Lord, the redemption, the atonement of Christ. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Isaiah chapter two, verse 12 in the Old Testament says, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low. Christians are humble and broken, man. They know they need Christ. Whoa, we need Christ every day. But those that are arrogant and wanting to do it themselves, guess what? He deals with them. They'll be brought low and lofty on the day of the Lord. Joel chapter two, verse 32 says, and it shall come to pass that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said in the remnant whom the Lord shall call on that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 114 on the day of the Lord, New Testament now. We are your rejoicing, even as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 reads, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with further fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Because God is a good judge, and he's just, he has to pay for those laws that are broken. And so if you think, hey, I'm a good person, and I've done more good than bad, that's great. But guess what? You still have broken God's law because the Bible says everybody's done it. And you're like, okay, well, no, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't broken God's law. Okay, have you ever told a a lie? That's one of the Ten Commandments. You say, well, yeah, I've told a lie, but I'm not a liar. Well, how many lies do you have to tell before you're a liar? Just one. Guess what? You're a liar. Welcome. The Bible says if you hate someone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. If you look at someone lustfully, then you're guilty of adultery. All 10 of the 10 commandments we could go through. No other gods before you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you do that? Love your neighbors. you love yourself. Do you do that? Well, most of the time. Well, when you don't do it, Guess what? You've broken God's law. And God's not judging us based upon the good works we've done, yet he's judging us on all the laws that we've broken. And God is a good and righteous judge on this day, and he's going to bring all the dead. And all of the dead are going to come, and all the dead come, and he separates the sheep and 
the goats. All the sheep go over here, all the goats over here. Okay? Before we get there, I want to kind of go through this and I want to talk, give you some terms to give you some handles on this passage of scripture. Now, there's so much here and I'm not going to get to all of it. So buckle up. We're going to try to get through as much as we can, but I just want to kind of hit the high points so that you have an understanding and how this intersects with our life in the gospel. The not, the fact is not what is all of this. The fact is, and my prayer is that you and I would believe it. Because if we believe this, it will affect the way that we live and will affect the way that we share our faith and pray. So the first term that I want you to be aware of is glorification. This is the day when Jesus puts all things right. This is the great white throne judgment day. The day when God, when Christ and God sits on his throne and everything is made right. It's according to his word and what he says in the word of God. And we are given new bodies for all eternity. If you want to read about it, read Romans chapter eight. All of creation is longing for this day for us to be glorified. Second thing that I want you to be aware of, there's a great white throne. This is called the great white throne judgment or the time when God judges everyone. Everyone is judged by creator God with all life held accountable to God. God created us, we're held accountable to him, and because of that, therefore, all of us are going to stand before God, and every dead person is there. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, as it is written, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that, the judgment. So Christ was once suffered, offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So there's this sense of... We're appointed and a man wants to die. All the dead are at this. And one by one, God deals with every single person. And what does it say? That he's dealing with it and there's a group of books there. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead and the small standing before the throne and the books were open. What are the books? It's all the books of everything that you've ever done in your entire life. Every thought that you've ever had. Every action you've ever done. Every word you've ever spoken. All of those books are there. And they stand in opposition to what we've done good, what we've done wrong. They all stand in opposition of, did you break the law? And is he a righteous judge? And we're going to have to deal with this. The book of life is there. Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life is this idea that all of our actions are present in these books, but the book of life contains a name. And whoever's name was not found in the book of life, there's an eternal payment in the lake of fire for their own sin. Now, this is important for us to understand because as we talk about the gospel or the good news, the book of life is only has the names of those where Christ has atoned for their sin. Now, what do I mean by atone? I want to give you the word atonement. Atonement is when another person pays for your sin or your, or, or the, your breaking of the law. So let me give you, let, let me, let me lay this out for you. When we talk about the gospel, number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. This is atonement. Okay. Now you can pay for your sins yourself on the day of judgment. There's all those books. It has all the things that you've done wrong, or you can have Christ have paid for all of of your sins on that day. 
okay? And so you have these books that reveal all of the sin. Now you can either pay for the sin yourself in your hardness of heart that I do my own thing, I'm my own person, and you're arrogant and resistant to the things of God, or you can be broken and humble before the Lord and you can have allowed Christ to pay for your sins. Okay, remember, it's not, we, we, we can't just say some words and say, I'm saved. No, true repentance is a brokenness in hating your sin as much as God hates your sin and, and wanting and disgusted when you're doing it. It's the sense that I have turned away from sin because remember what we do with the gospel. We repent of our sins. We believe the gospel. We receive Christ into our life. So atonement is when Christ pays for your sin, and if you atone for your own sins, when you stand before God on judgment day, there's the second death that awaits the lake of fire. Okay? So you have two options. Now, here's the deal. I'm not trying to scare anybody. All right? Listen, I remember when I was like a little kid, there was like a pastor. He was like, turn or burn. Be filled or be grilled. Like he was like, he was, I mean, it was like, we're going to take an elevator to hell. Listen, I don't want to scare you. I'm not trying to make you fearful. I'm not a political campaign. Okay. I'm not a political ad. Everything is about fear mongering and stuff. Well, that person's this, this person's this, and I'm great. Look at me. Vote for me. I'm perfect. Okay. That's not what I'm trying to do. All I'm trying to do is tell you what the scripture says. And we submit to what the scripture says. And I'm telling you, this is the end for everyone. And we need to live with the end in mind. When I walked down the aisle and I was saying my vows to my wife and my wife and I were looking in her eyes, I was thinking about 75 years later when she was an old, well, an older woman and I was an old man. And I thought, wow, I want these vows to be just as true 75 years from now as they are today on this day. And I was like starting to cry. And she's like, don't cry or I'm going to cry. And then my makeup's going to go everywhere. And I was like, okay, I won't cry. But that was our marriage. Because I wanted to start with the end in mind. This is the end. Okay? And God doesn't, God's not dealing with our sins anymore in this time. He's already dealt with our sins. He's already dealt with our sins now. Well, how did he deal with our sins? He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins once and for all. So every sin you've ever committed, past, present, or future, he's paid for. This is atonement. Now, you can pay for the sins yourself, or you can have Christ pay for them. And in which case, your book, with all of that ledger, that read in your ledger against you, According to Psalm 103 and Jeremiah chapter 1 is you open it up and it's gone. Or there's just nothing but red blood, I heard some pastors say, to where it can't be read. Because Christ paid for our sins on the cross. You either receive that forgiveness and receive his work on the cross or you pay for it yourself. And it doesn't matter if you believe this or not. Because it's going to happen. And you can harden your heart and you can get angry and you can say, nope. And I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. And we preach Jesus and we preach his word. And it's authoritative and it's true. 
How do we know it's true? Well, because Jesus said it was true and he rose from the dead. And so all that gets us to this point of the lake of fire is after hell. People are like, well, I think eventually God's going to empty out hell. We're not universalists. Okay. So I want to give you today two truths about salvation in the lake of fire. The first truth is this, the lake of fire is a real place reserved for those who have and continually reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't come to God on your terms. You come to God on his terms. And his terms is humbly bowing at his feet, confessing your sins, and inviting Christ to come into your life to to believe and receive that gospel. And someone goes, well, I'm waiting. If I said that to my wife, I'm waiting. What's that answer? A wait is a no. If I'm about to die, I'm waiting to marry you. And I die without marrying her. What's the answer? No. So don't say I'm waiting because all you're really saying is no. You either commit or you don't commit. You either say yes or you say no. It's okay. You can pay for your sins yourself or you can have Christ pay for your sins. That's the good news. Christ paying for your sins and you receiving the forgiveness of every sin that you've done past, present, and future. Do we understand what we're saying? That means some of you right here might be sinning right now. I can't read your thoughts. I was reading the line, the witch in the wardrobe and, 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 and remember there's Lucy and Mr. Thomas, the fawn and the fawn is looking at Lucy and he's like, I'm a horrible fawn. I'm a terrible fawn. She's like, you're the nicest fawn I've ever met. And Jesus he's like, well, why are you saying this? And it, Lucy goes, why are you saying this? And he says, it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what I'm doing. And you might right here, right now be doing sin. But it's by Christ and his grace that we confess that sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So therefore, his healing from our sin is past, present, what I'm doing, and future. He's not paying for our sins in the past. He's already paid for our sins. When he was on the cross and he died, he said, it is finished. To tell us, die. I'm done. The sins are paid for. Now it's up to you to acknowledge whether you're going to pay for it or not. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart are you going to respond to the gospel and receive Christ. Second truth about salvation, lake of fire. Salvation and eternal life is for all who desire to humbly submit and desire Jesus. All the way back to the day of the Lord in in Joel. All the way back to Isaiah chapter two. Humble. If you're arrogant or you think you deserve this or God should give this to you or there's something, anything special about you, I'm just telling you, it's only those that are broken and humble that are saved. God does not withhold from those who desire salvation if you come to him on his terms, not yours. Second truth. 
God saves, we respond. Our response is humility, brokenness, and repentance. If our response is anything else, God looks on the outside, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. That's between you and God. I'm just telling you, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You might have all the knowledge in the world, but if you're not humble before God, humble and broken to the point where you hate your sin as much as he hates it, you need to examine yourself. The second two truths are the two truths about heaven from this text. I'm sorry for giving you these broad brush views. It's just hard to go through a chapter and a half. The first part is this, God dwells with us in our new bodies. Like my favorite. Favorite, favorite, favorite. Revelation chapter 21, verse three, listen to what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And then the results are incredible. But let me share something with you. If you're looking forward to heaven for any other reason than God, you're gonna be disappointed. Because heaven's all about God. If you don't desire to want to see God and hold him and have him hold you and to be with him forever and ever and ever, you're going to be disappointed. I want to see Jesus. So the two men that came to the disciples, sir, we would see Jesus. God dwells with us in our new bodies. Not only does he dwell with us, but we can't see him because of the sinfulness of our own bodies. He gives us new bodies and in our new bodies, we're built for eternity and we get to be with him forever and ever and ever in the most beautiful, wonderful place ever. The streets are gold. There's a massive clams that are giving out these huge pearls that are all one pearl. I don't know. Go figure it out. There's, there's, every jewel is represented. I don't even know what some of these jewels are, but I mean, I'm not a jeweler, but awesome. The pavement is gold. Like, think about that. Let that blow your mind. They're like blowing. They're doing the things with the black rock, and it's like stinky and all that. In heaven, I wonder if they have those machines and they just roll out the gold. We're going to repave this with gold. What? But the best part about it is that God's there. We get to be with him. That every, and because he's with us and we're his people, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And that's the second truth about heaven. And I don't have time to go in and I wish I did because I would, I could spend this whole message on this three words that I want to give you new light and clean are words that best describe eternity with God. New 
like new. You got new clothes. Doesn't it feel, ooh, these are great. I wish I could wear new clothes every day. They smell good. New. It's new. And new. Remember, Jesus is saying, behold, I am making all things new. So it's not just new and then it gets old. It just continually is new over and over and over again. It's always new. This is good news for those of you that don't like change, okay? It's just new. Light. There's no sun, moon, or stars. There's no need for any light or lamps. We have God. And there's light everywhere. And and remember in John chapter one, it says that men love their darkness and they do things in the deeds of the darkness. There's no more of that. There's light everywhere. It's awesome. Light. And, And God doesn't change. And so there's this sense that there's light everywhere. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. There's an allusion here. He, he refers back to Isaiah chapter 55. You're thirsty. I, I'll give you something and you don't have to pay for it. I spent, okay, I was in the airport. Um, this is a confession time. I spent six bucks on a, on a bottle of water. I was so thirsty. I get off the plane. I was like, I'm so thirsty. Cause they don't, you know, they were giving me like this little like communion cup glasses for water. I was like, I'm so thirsty. And I was like, and then I was like, I need water. And I go into the first place and it was a Starbucks and they have like the Fuji water. Like, Oh yeah. Right. But that was all they had. And I was like, I want water. I was like, here. And I got the big one. It was like six bucks. Heaven, you're not paying for your water. Oh yeah. Incredible. It's incredible. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We are drinking in life and light. And clean. What do you mean by clean? Look at verse eight. But the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those that said, we want to pay for our sins. We want to pay for these sins. They're gone. It's clean. It's clean. All you OCD people rejoice and you didn't have to clean it. It's clean. It's continually clean. It's new. It's light. It's clean. And we look at this and we go, wow, that's awesome. It's incredible. And only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life are there. That means only those that have received the forgiveness and the atonement of sins from Christ are there. And you look at this and we rejoice and we say, yes, right? So what does this mean? And how does this intersect our life? And how does this intersect the last eight weeks? And here it is. Are you ready? Do you care that your neighbor's not going to be there if you don't tell them about Christ? Does that bother you? Does it bother you that the person that you work with in the cubicle across from you 
has never heard of Christ and may not be there because no one's told him. No one's prayed for him. Does it bother you that there's a whole lot of people out there? What's the response? Here's, here's the response that Jesus demonstrated his disciples in Matthew. He's over Jerusalem and it says that he weeps over Jerusalem. Now that word wept, it doesn't mean he just like cried tears down his face. No, it says he wept and in the Greek, it's like, it's this out loud wailing. As he's on this mountain with his disciples, he's wailing over all of these people in the old Jerusalem that are, have rejected God. And maybe he's watching them go up to the temple with their lambs and their birds and stuff. And they're trying to atone for their sin to receive the forgiveness of God. And then Jesus is like, I'm the lamb of God right here. And they're rejecting me. And he's weeping over them. And his disciples are there watching it. Because he knows that they're arrogant and they're choosing to reject his atonement. And it breaks his heart. And he's weeping and he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish I could take you in like a mother hen with his chicks. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And there's a new Jerusalem that they're going to miss out on because they're stuck in the old Jerusalem. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I want to read to you what Charles Spurgeon wrote. This worked me. And my prayer is that the Spirit of God uses it in your life to work you over. So what? This is what he said. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Do you want arguments for soul winning? Look up to heaven and ask yourself how sinners can ever reach those harps of gold and learn their everlasting everlasting song unless they have someone to tell them of Jesus who is mighty to save. But the best argument of all is to be found in the wounds of Jesus. You want to honor him? You desire to put many crowns upon his head? And this you can best do by winning souls for him. These are the spoils that he covets. These are the trophies for which he fights. These are the jewels that shall be his best adornment. I would rather, I would, I would sooner Bring one sinner to Jesus Christ, then unravel all the mysteries of the divine word. For salvation is the one thing we all are to live for. And if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exhortations. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Here's the deal with that. He, Charles Spurgeon, really believed this. He believed it so much, it affected the way he lived. 
And here's my question. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? Last week, Pastor Sean, he shared a vision. And I was like, man, what a great vision. But I heard people like, oh, it's about money. It's about money. And my response is this. Look, if we really believe the gospel, then, and we really believe that this is what's going to happen, then how much do you want? If it all belongs to him, here you go, Lord. Here you go. You mean you want to put gospel outposts all over Hampton Roads? I'm in. You want to plant churches and help pastors? I'm in. You want to make disciples? Let's go. I just look at this and I just think, man, sometimes I get lethargic to the Great Commission. It's why I go on missions trips. I want to show you a picture of some pastors and their wives. I was in Colombia just a few weeks ago and I'm training some pastors and we gave them all, uh, first 10 cents of every dollar goes to missions. So this is, we did a pastor training. This is some of the pastors and their wives. And we, we took them to a really nice steak dinner, which was like $10 a person. Like, oh man, woo, big bucks. Um, but it was like for them, they had never ever even eaten at this, something so nice. Most of them have two jobs and they're putting all their money into their church because the gospel's worth it to them. And, and they're there and we, and that's a systematic theology in Spanish and, and we uh, grew them and we're just giving them out and we're, we're, we're with them. And if you want to go on a trip with me, come on a trip with me. You don't believe me? Like, oh, that's great. You know, some go, some send, all of us contribute, right? And, and man, the joy in their hearts, because this is what they said. They said, we're so excited of the next year because there's so many people that don't know the gospel and we get to share it with them. And we're discipling one guy in there and, and he's right, let me see, uh, he's right up there on the left with the white shirt next to uh, Dr. Ben. Um, we're there and he, he, he started a second church and he said this, he's like, yeah, I don't have a pastor for it, but my wife and I are just going to go back and forth between the two churches and have them at different times on different parts of the city because there's such a need. And I'm trying to raise up more people and I'm trying to train some more people, but there's such a need. And I'm like, but you work two jobs and your wife works and you have kids and all this stuff. And he says, is the gospel not worth it? And here's the deal. I'm not like, and then there's Pastor Korchi and Pastor Sasha, and they're in the Ukraine right now. And there's missiles flying in, and the sirens go off, and things are being destroyed and stuff. And I'm like, why are you here? Like, Pastor Sasha has like a gazillion kids. He could leave. He has an exemption. Pastor Korchi has a medical exemption. And this is what they said Is the gospel not worth it? That we'd be willing not to give our lives? Because these people, they are more open to the gospel than ever. Because at any moment, they think that they could die. And they could. And so it's a ripe opportunity. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And you're looking and saying, man, you're trying to make me feel afraid or guilty or whatever. I'm not trying to make you feel anything. Okay? If anything, I do this because... I don't want to be lethargic to the great commission to the gospel, but I do this not to make you feel guilty, but to make you feel envious that they believe this maybe more than we do. 
And so we get the opportunity to go and love on kids and on, on, on children and wives. And, and why? Because, man, God is opening doors. Just the fact that we went into Ukraine, we're, we have an opportunity to have a meeting. We're going to have a meeting, a, a Skype meeting or whatever, like a Zoom or whatever, with the chaplain of the Ukrainian army for all the chaplains. And he's saying, could you come in and teach us and help us with PTSD and help us? Can you, can you help us? We just need training and nobody's helping us in this area. Well, sign me up. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, but you're going to give me the laborers and I'm just going to give you this? And we have, we have a ministry in our church. It's called Reboot. And we have a couple, uh, Brian, they're even here, and Kim. And they've been, they, here's the deal. They've been working with PTSD um, Americans and they're going to go help us do this. How are they going to do it? I don't know. We'll figure it out, man. Let's just, I got kind of this thing. It's like, let's just show up and figure it out. So well, there's not a lot of planning to that. Well, we'll let God do the planning sometimes because man can plan his ways, but the Lord orders his steps. I just look at this and I just say, I believe this. And if I believe this, then it has to change the way that I live. And you're like, well, you're just trying to proselytize. No, I'm not trying to proselytize anybody because at the end of the day, it's like if I had the cure to cancer and you had cancer, wouldn't I want, I would just offer it to you. And it's up to you whether or not you're going to take the cure or not. There's no proselytizing in that. I'm not forcing you. I'm not going to cut your head off if you don't believe. I'm just going to look and say, man, I just want you to believe and I'm praying for you to believe and I'm sharing with you to believe because here's the cure to your sin problem. The gospel works. It changes lives. And I'm willing to give my life to it. And I'm willing to give my life for it. Because I believe this. And I know a lot of you do too. And so my challenge is this. Pastor Sean, at the very beginning, he had you write down three names to pray for. Of those three names, I'm asking you, hopefully they're local, to grab one name. And you got these little sticky note things. If you don't have one, I'll have them up here. I want you to write down the name of the one person that you're going to be Jesus to and share the gospel with. What? Yes. And we're going to take them and we're going to stick them up against the walls. And the reason we're going to stick them up against the walls is because we're going to take these and we're going to move them to the prayer chapel and we're going to start praying for them. And once they get saved and God answers our prayer because we believe that God answers prayers and their life is changed, you're going to take, you're going to find that name. You're going to take it off. You're going to stick it in the book, slap it down, and you're going to write how God answered that prayer and that person got saved. That's going to be awesome. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to take some of these things and we're just going to start reading some of them. Because the gospel changes lives, right? That's why we're here, right? That's what we believe, right? Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to look and go, yes, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm ready. Here am I. Send me. It's exciting. This is good stuff. Has your life intersected with the gospel? Have those in your life responded to the gospel? 
Have you prayed for them? Have you shared with them? And here's the deal. We're going to do this. We're going to put these names up and they're going to stay until next, until Easter. Okay. So that means you have Christmas Eve to invite them. You have Easter to invite them, to share with them, to love them, to bake them cookies, to have them reject you a hundred times. And then on the hundred and first time, they're going to come to know Christ because you're going to love them so well. The average person hears the gospel 6.7 times before they respond. So don't get discouraged after the sixth time. You still have a 0.7 to go, baby. And you share the gospel with them and you say, I love you. I want you to know. Why are you so into Jesus? Why are you so into me knowing Jesus? Because I understand the life change that it's done in my life and I know what it can do in yours. If we really believe this. It should affect the way we live, right? Man, I'm excited. This, and not just because the Phillies are in the World Series. I'm excited because this is our opportunity to watch a revival take place in Hampton Roads and he can use Coastal to do it. And so write down the name. And then we're going to sing some songs, sing some verses. And on your way out, you take that name and you stick it up on the wall. And we're going to take these and we're going to transpose them to the prayer chapel. We're going to put them all over the prayer chapel and make weekly visits to the prayer chapel and pray for a bunch of names. But don't just pray for them. Speak to them, love them, invite them to Christmas Eve, invite them to Easter, invite them to church. Be Jesus to them. Bake cookies for them. You, you, this is, you're going to do like a love fest on this person. And you're going to beg God that God would save them. And let's just see what happens. I'm excited. Are you? You know why I'm excited? Because I believe this. It's my prayer that you do too. And so let's put our belief into action. Let's all stand up. Let's pray. God, give us a name. Give us a name. There's a lot of, there's a whole world of people that are lost and are hurting and are looking for peace, that are looking for hope. And Lord God, we have the words of eternal life because you gave them to us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be diligent to do this work. The work of making disciples that make disciples that make disciples by sharing the gospel, by praying for them. God, help us to come together. When those of us that are here that are struggling with our own sin, Lord God, I pray that we would confess it. We believe that your forgiveness and we would recognize, Lord God, that it is your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And if there's somebody here that is not a believer, that doesn't believe this, I pray that right now they would believe it. That right now they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That right now they would humble themselves and say, God, my life is yours. that would stop pursuing their own things. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. We worship you. Do what you do best. In the next few moments, through the power of your Holy Spirit, it's far better than a million words I could ever say, Lord God. So by your Spirit, call us. Give us names, help them to put them up, help us to pray for them and help us to do the business that you've called us to do. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Let's sing, you write, then you come and drop it off.